Shalom and welcome to another Kingdom 101 teaching. My name is Hansen and I'm from Archippus Awakening. We are a ministry dedicated to the awakening of saints that we may know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. Now this is where Kingdom 101 fits in when we speak about kingdom assignments. We want to have the right kingdom foundation so that we can move rightly on our kingdom assignments. Our Objectives are very, very simple here. We just want to know the King. We want to embrace His Kingdom. And we want to be able to receive and move on our Kingdom assignments correctly. And so I'm glad that you are here watching this teaching or listening in. And I pray that this will be a blessing to you. I've got lots to share with you in this teaching. So I want to get straight into what I have prepared for you. So join me, will you? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord. Once more, we thank you for scriptures, Lord, because you say that it is life and it is truth and you will bring the right things to our hearts, Lord, if we would receive them and act upon them. And so, Holy Spirit, be with me and be with everyone listening and tuning in. We want to hear from you, Lord. Teach us, Lord, so that we can move rightly for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you encountered this before? You're in the supermarket and you want to get your stuff, but somehow someone just stands and walks very slowly. He or she gets in the way. Not only that, you know, they're like taking their own sweet time, pushing their trolleys here and there. Or maybe you're driving and suddenly it just had to happen, right? You've got to get somewhere, but there's heavy traffic. Even worse, red lights all the way. Somehow, something, someone gets in the way. But what about your own kingdom journey, your spiritual walk? Do you find something or someone getting in the way most of the time? Let me ask you a very, very personal question. What if that someone was you? I know that has been my own experience. I mean, I could blame a lot of people, lots of things, many factors. But the truth is this. I tend to be the one getting in the way. I hate to admit it, but it's real. I mean, those who know me, I used to work in the advertising and marketing industry. Somehow the messages were always tailored to the individual, the I, the consumer. We were tender to this person's feeling, ego, what have you. Because we want to get a message through, we want to focus on this person, the I. Stepping into the ministry, it didn't take long for me to discover that the same thing happened in the church. We end up pandering also to this eye. And we are not, if we are not careful, this eye can get in the way of so many things, of so many kingdom agenda stuff that God has for us. Charles Colson, when he wrote this article many years ago, Welcome to Mac Church. This was his observation. He saw that the books selling in Christian bookstores are the touchy-feely ones that focus on self-esteem, self-fulfillment, and self-analysis, while devotionals and missionary biographies gather dust on the shelves. So do books encouraging self-sacrifice. Well, that's what we're going to explore in this teaching. I want to take you through the different things that will contribute to this I getting in the way. 
we are going to look at issues, the impact, the implications when the eye gets in the way. Thankfully, Jesus gives us instructions. And that's the passage that we'll get into soon enough. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 27, Jesus gives instructions how to get this eye out of the way. And if you're hanging with me, make sure you listen right to the end. Jesus also gives us an incentive. All right, let's jump in quickly. Let's talk about the issues about this eye. This thing here, you know, this problem, this challenge. What are the issues when I gets in the way? Well, number one, let's look at identity. Who am I? Identity, I know it's important, but so many of us struggle with this one I word. You see, when we don't know who we are, we tend to find our identity and our value in the goods that we purchase, the clothes that we wear, the car that we drive, the crowd that we mix with, the restaurants that we patronize. And listen to this, even the church that we attend. Now, this lure of self-worth, self-esteem, this destiny purpose that you know, we want for ourselves, and our mixed-upness in all that only shows how lost and how dysfunctional a generation and a people we are. More often than not, we need our egos stroked and pandered to. Motivational and encouraging messages are nice. I like the you know, overcomer, uh, more than a conqueror type things. I am loved. I am blessed. I can be my best. I can achieve. I can do it. I can have it all. Can you detect the emphasis on the I? You see, it's all about this identity, right? If I'm only finding this identity in myself, then the I is very much alive. And you can put all the Christian tags on it. All we have is actually Christianized individualism. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? God loves the individual, but I believe He frowns on individualism. You see, every individual is unique. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows each and every one of us by name. God calls individuals, right? Abraham, David, um, Samuel, Moses, Occupus. God loves the individual. But when you place that individual above God, we have a individualism, right? Because we only look at ourselves. Now, every individual only has meaning and purpose when that individual is aligned with God and His purpose. So first issue of the I, identity. If we don't sort that out, we get into a lot of mess. The second I issue is image. And it answers the question or it asks the question, what do I represent? Now, look at the marketing industry, which I came from. It's all about corporate image, brand image, product image, and marketers spend dollars, dollars, millions of dollars to build up this image. And what are they really doing? They're trying to pander to that eye, right? You're trying to connect with this image. They're trying to connect with you so that when you take on these products, you project a certain image. Do you know churches also try to project an image, right? Some we say they're traditional, they're boring, or oh, that's the image. Or oh, we want to be loving and caring. Churches today tend to want to be trendy, hip, relevant. They want to be youthful and entertaining. Some churches look like they're very professional, sleek, business-like. This is how the way we operate. 
or some would say we are multifaceted, we are catering to all shapes and sizes. Well, there's nothing really wrong with trying to be relevant to the congregation. The problem is when churches begin to think like marketers. And so we try to project the image that people like or they want. We unconsciously pander to the eye so that the people can feel good about being in church A or church B. Notice it's still the eye. This image that I want and the churches adjust to make sure they try to get me. The third eye issue is about importance and it asks the question, now who really is the focus? <laughs> I, the I here, you know, I want to be the center of attention. Now, of course, we sing the song, Jesus be the center. But how can he be the center if I am the center of the, the attention, right, or the attraction? Church programs are catered for me. Uh, activities must uh, look for what I would like to do. Uh, ministries, you know, will have to take note of this eye down here. Even today, when we are in this pandemic, everybody is so comfortable at home watching online. Do you know in some churches, they are struggling right now because when they open up on-site services, the, con the, the, the congregation, they're not wanting to go back because it's not convenient. Why? Because I am the focus. You see that? What is important? Who is important? I am important. You better not lose me as a congregation. Otherwise, you know, you will lose tithing and you will lose my presence. I have my rights. I mean, look at the importance down here. What kind of services or attention do you expect to uh, get in a restaurant? Why? After all, you're paying the bill, right? You're paying the salaries of the people who are serving you question is, do we expect the same treatment in the church? You expect the same of God. Uh, how dare you put me on hold, God? You know, how come you're not answering me? How dare you inconvenience me, oh Lord? Or the church, how can you shift this and shift that? You know, you must, you must think of me, you know, you, just, you should love me, you should serve me. Bless me, otherwise, you know, I'll give up on this whole thing. The funny thing is that we speak like that, we think like that, but the truth is, bond servants of Jesus Christ, we have no rights. Now, if we're not careful about this importance issue, it leads to pride and self-centeredness. Right? The Pharisees, they were jostling for the best seats. The disciples, they were jostling for power, prestige, and position. And in the church, we live like that. It affects relationships. It hurts the body. It affects all our ministries. Instead of disciples following the master, we're actually asking the master to cater to the disciples. The fourth I issue is indulgences. What do I want, right? What am I excited about? What am I interested in? Now, in the pandering of self or to the self, this I here, the focus of many advertisements and slogans is always about you. Do you realize this? Go ahead, indulge yourself. You know, you deserve it. You're so important. No one else actually really matters. We're doing this only for you. We're tailoring everything to the eye. Now, if we are not careful, again, we bring this into the church. The church must indulge me too. God wants me to be happy. He wants me to be rich and comfortable. And if I'm not, then something is wrong. Church, oh, church must be fun, right? It must be entertaining. I mean, the message, look, it's got to speak to me. The speakers have got to be entertaining, right? Uh, they've got to be good. They've got to tell jokes. 
I hope you're still staying with me right now. If I feel bored, uh, if I don't get the experience, then you know, you're not indulging me. Faith is about getting what I want, what I want, anytime, you know, anything I want. Pander to me. How about sacrifice? Suffering? Oh, you're talking about silence? Solitude? You want me to give up something? <laughs> Wait, huh? I, I, I sense the Lord telling me to change church. Oh, this new church just opened down, down the road. It's called iChurch. Nothing new under the sun. It happened in the Garden of Eden. Eve was tempted. Adam was tempted also. Same warning that the apostles give us. Lust of the eyes, pride of life, lust of flesh. Everything panders to the indulgence of the flesh. And this is this I that we are wanting to be aware of so that we can deal with this whole issue. The fifth issue. Now, if you are looking at all those four issues, look at all those four issues before this. <laughs> if you don't nip those, then the, the fifth issue is idolatry. Who is worshipped? Who is worshipped? If the eye is left unchecked, sooner or later it wants to become God, right? It starts to treat yourself, this eye here, as God. Look at all the statements of Lucifer in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15. Pride comes in. I will do this. I want this. You know, I want to get this. That was the fall of Lucifer. He got cast down. Eve did the same thing when Lucifer, Satan, tempted her of, the, of exactly the same issue. You will be like God. You see that? That's idolatry. When we elevate the self above God and we entertain the worship, that worship of this self, the I, that's idolatry. What's an idol? Think about this. An idol is really when I becomes God. You see, the conflict is this. I want to worship God, but I also want to protect my own interests and desires and wants. So what's the solution? Easy. I will make God into this image that I'm comfortable with. Right? I will create this doll for myself. Remember, idols are really like a doll, an image that we create for ourselves. And what's an idol? It's an idol. We make God into our own image. We make Him pander to our taste and our styles. I don't need to change. I can stay the same. I mean, after all, Jesus died for me, right? So God exists for me. God now serves me. I become that God. I become that idol. Look at these five issues. It's so subtle. If we don't point these things out, we don't realize that they really impact us and they affect us. Now, these were so subtle that it even affected Peter. You remember in that last teaching, the last passage, in Matthew chapter 16, in this place called Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Now, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered the right question with that right revelation. He said, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. Wow. And Jesus said, blessed are you. Simon Peter, you know, cool, man, you got the right answer. And not just that, even the right revelation. I believe that after Peter was praised by Jesus, his eye quotient, his IQ, must have shot up sky high. 
Now let's look at how dangerous this eye is if it's not dealt with. Look at the impact of the eye, how it impacts us and how it affects us. And we're going to learn from our passage in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 27, learning from Peter when that eye got in the way. The first is this, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now Peter then took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine this? The disciple rebukes the master. He said this to Jesus, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Friends, if the eye gets in the way, when the eye is not dealt with, we will have our own ideas of success. Is it not true? Right? Today, Especially, we hear so many teachings of how Christianity should be, how victorious we must be, that nothing untoward would happen to us. Now, we can come away with the idea that Christianity should be smooth and we will always overcome things in the way that we want it to be overcome. That kingdom assignments will never involve any difficulty, any trouble, and definitely how can we even talk about death? And that is why when Jesus told Peter and the disciples, this is what's going to happen to me. I will have to suffer and I will be tortured, I will be scourged and I will be betrayed, I will be killed. Peter looked at that and his eye came up in the way and he goes, how can this be? No, 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 please, come on Jesus. No negative talk right here, okay? No, only positive proclamations, please, you know. We can do this, I can do this, yay, yay, yay. See, our ideas of success will come in. And this will stand in the way, in fact, of us even receiving kingdom assignments that may be difficult. How many times have we heard people say this, right? Oh, this can't be from God. If it is, then it cannot be so difficult. Oh, this assignment looks too tough for me. Cannot be. Because if I take on this assignment, I won't be happy. And God wants me to, happy, be, to be happy. He doesn't want me to suffer. If this is an assignment and I'm on it, how come I'm not seeing success? I should see this happen and that happen and numbers should grow and so on. Is that really kingdom? Don't we remember that the ways of the kingdom are often upside down and God can use different things to further and to advance the things of His kingdom. But when we only think about ourselves, then our ideas of success will be very what? It will not be God's kingdom idea and version of what success really is. Now Jesus looks at Peter then and says this to him, he explains, look, you are saying all these things because you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Here, when the eye gets in the way, we are blocked from the things of God because in the first place, the eye likes the ways of the world, the things of man. And when we look at only the way the world operates, we will then be ignorant of the things of God because it sounds crazy to us. It sounds upside down. It's not really very attractive. But what are the ways of the world? Very simple. It panders to I, 
me and myself. And so we have to ask each other here, provoke one another. Are we conformed to the things of the world? Or are we transformed by the renewing of the mind that we will not remain ignorant of the things of God, that we can prove what is the acceptable, the good and the perfect will of God? You see, if the eye remains in the way, if it does not get removed and taken out of the way, we can know so many Christian things and yet be ignorant of the things of God. Now, this is very, very scary. Have we seen and heard people who speak Christian, but they don't understand how to live the kingdom? Now, don't point a finger first. Let's check ourselves. We know all the Christian answers, but when we speak of things of the kingdom, we run a mile away. How do we receive kingdom assignments? And that's why Jesus was telling Peter, look, you know who I am but you are still learning about who you really are and you've got to get this eye out of the way. If not, it's going to block you. It's going to blind you. It's going to keep you from the things of the kingdom because ignorant people of the things of the kingdom will not be able to receive kingdom assignments. The eye will keep getting in the way. We will keep pushing the assignments out because we only want those that would pander to the I, me, and myself. I will just serve in the way that is comfortable. The third issue is this. I call it the instincts of self-preservation. We must give Peter credit because he understood what it means to be a disciple. Jesus just said, look, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be persecuted, I will suffer, they will, they, will, they will send me in front of the officials and so on. Peter understood what that meant for him as a disciple. Whatever happens to the master, there is a very, very high chance the disciples will experience exactly the same thing. And can you see the instincts of self-preservation comes, right? I have to protect this eye. I got to protect myself. No, Jesus, it cannot happen to you. It shouldn't happen to you. Please don't let it happen to you. Because if it does, then perchance, high chance, it might happen to me. He knew the words of Jesus. Jesus warned them over and over again. And once again, even in John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus said this, Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Instincts of self-preservation. If the eye is not taken out of the way, we will always want to protect ourselves, myself, my things, my convenience, my comfort. Christianity is okay, as long as it suits me. But if you want to expect me to give up things, to lose what I've worked for, I will tell you, Let's not get too radical, okay? You're being a little bit fanatical down here. Why? Because I want to keep what I want. I want to keep this, this status quo. I want to protect this I. Friends, the I needs to get out of the way. If not, this instinct to self-preserve, to protect me, I, myself, my needs, my wants, my comforts, that instinct is very, very strong. You see, when it comes to kingdom assignments, if it's going to cause us to give up anything 
and everything that is dear or comfortable to myself and in my life even, if the I is not taken out of the way, we want to self-preserve again. And we'll be quick to rationalize, justify, and even push things away from ourselves. And so the Lord used two very strong words upon Peter. He looked at this star disciple and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Our misaligned ideas of success, our ignorance of the things of the kingdom, and our instincts of self-preservation, these would all become impediments to the purposes of the kingdom. They will block us. They will limit us. They form barriers to us. And these impediments are not just for our own assignment. These impediments can also block the assignments of others. Let's learn from our passage. These two words that Jesus used on Peter are extremely strong ones. First, he called Peter Satan. Now, many people would uh, think that uh, Peter's retort or rebuke would have been inspired demonically. Well, that is a possible uh, suggestion. But the word Satan is not just a name for the devil. The word Satan is really just a title or a description. And it simply means an adversary or someone who opposes something. So imagine with me. If something stands in the way, then you are blocking, you are opposing. If I stand in your way, you have every right to call me someone who opposes you. You can call me Satan. And I believe that was what Jesus was saying to Peter. He said, excuse me, Peter, you are blocking me, right? You are, you are confronting me at, like an adversary. Now, you're supposed to be my friend, but if you stand against me in this, you're, if you oppose the ideas of the kingdom, then you are like a Satan. Get away, you know, you are, you are like an offense to me. You are offending me. And it's not that Jesus didn't mean, oh, you hurt my feelings. <laughs> no, the word offense comes from the Greek scandalon. And this just means a trigger of a trap. And the way that Peter was talking to Jesus was, no, Lord, you know, don't even consider this. This cannot happen to you. Hey, 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 you know, please get, get out of this kind of negative uh, thinking and proclamations. That was a trigger. That wasn't the trap itself, but that was a trigger. Meaning to say, if Jesus had bought into that kind of thinking, he would have triggered that trap. He would have sprung the trap that would cause him to be entrapped in this ideology and to miss his own kingdom assignments. You see, Peter's response would have done all these things not just for his own assignment, but for the assignment of someone else, the assignment of the King of Kings and a Lord of Lords. And that's why Jesus said it so plainly and so clearly to him. Excuse me, Peter, will you step aside? Will you get behind me? Don't stand in front of me because you are getting in the way. The I in you is getting in your way and is getting in my way. You've got to get it out of the way because you wanted to block yourself? Go ahead, but don't let it block me. And is it not true that so many times this I gets in the way of what the Lord wants us to do for Him? And as if that's not bad enough, this I 
because we want to rationalize and justify ourselves. We want to bring others to agree with us. We end up telling others, cannot be like this. Um, I think you understand wrongly. Uh, God doesn't want you to suffer. We become that trap, that trigger to the trap, that offends the scandal on. We become the Satan, the adversary, the opposer, the one that blocks the way because of this eye here that we are trying to help someone else's eye also stay there. And in turn, the whole congregation or the people with the eye there, we block ourselves and we block one another. Can you see how dangerous the eye is? If the eye is not dealt with, the issues, if we don't deal with these issues, it will impact us. And not only will it impact and affect the individual, but there are also adverse and disastrous implications for the entire church, the people of God. What are the implications? If all of us do not get this eye out of the way, if we're only pandering to this eye, then I tell you what's going to happen for us. These are the implications. Firstly, you'll see that the gospel will be perverted. The messages will be diluted. Our authority will be stripped. And our spiritual growth will be questionable. And most of all, our discipleship will be compromised. Let me just speak a little bit about these points. The gospel will be perverted. How? Because we say that the gospel is good news, so it must always sound good. It must never be bad. <laughs> so we tell people, if you believe Jesus, everything will be okay. If you tithe, your bank accounts will be overflowing. If you have faith, your mountains will disappear. We want the gospel to be non-confrontational, but the gospel in essence is confrontational. <laughs> Otherwise, why would Paul then say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Why? Because it is largely offensive. You see, the good news will be compromised and perverted if we only pander to the eye. We don't want to hurt the person and we don't talk about sin anymore. We talk about the good news as a ticket to get what you want, just to get to heaven. That's the good news. The gospel will be perverted. And today we have seen the problem with this one big issue, the implications in the church. We are struggling with so many versions of the gospel. Friends, the real good news, the gospel is this, that in this kingdom, there is a God. And as a king, he is good. And he can run my life better than I can do it by myself. And to do that, he wants this eye to get out of the way so that he can sit on the throne and lead us. Let's not pervert the gospel with a wrong understanding of this eye. This eye got to get out of the way. Jesus has to be the king. If you're not careful again, the message will become diluted, right? Because... The messages cannot be tough, cannot be too demanding because we don't come to church for these kind of challenges. After a hard day's work, oh man, you mean you want me to come to church to hear difficult things again? The absolute truth cannot be proclaimed, right? Because um, we want to interpret it for ourselves. It's no longer the standard by which we live, God's Word. But now we will look to experts or advice that will tell us what I want to hear. 
sometimes in a time of counseling. You know, people will go to different pastors or different people to ask for advice, not because they want wise counsel. They just want to hear something that sits well with them. If sin is no longer mentioned, then what are we talking about, right? What are being saved from? And that's why we sort of veneer it, we cover over it. We don't talk about sin anymore. We just tell people that Jesus is a nice guy to help us get what we want. Now, if sin is not there and judgment is not there, then hell and, and heaven uh, are also being compromised, diluted. Heaven is just being happy and clappy. Uh, hell is not a, an actual place. It's just a state of mind. Now, if these places are not true, what are we being saved from? If messages are being packaged and titled only to draw the crowds, man, all we want is... This is what we see today, right? We just want revelation upon revelation upon revelation. Aha, wow, post, post, Facebook, Facebook, tag, tag, like, like. But obedience? Oh, don't ask me about that, you know. All I want is revelation. Prophetic this, prophetic that, power this, power that. But obedience, disciple? Nah, forget about that, you know. I'll just speak whatever I feel, I sense, uh, I, I like. Messages must be about breakthroughs, about victories. Why? Because I want to get that next job. I want to land that new house. I want to fly in a private jet. Grace upon grace, grace upon grace. There's no problem with me. Nothing I can do will ever be wrong. Why? Because I am worthy. I am loved. I am favoured. I am the most important thing. And if I was the only person left on planet Earth, Jesus would still die for me. Can you see where this is going and where this is taking the church? I'm all for affirming. I'm all for encouraging. But if we don't get the eye out of the way, the implication is this. Our messages have become so, so shallow because it's only pandering to this eye. Our authority will be stripped if we keep going this way. What we do is that we hand this authority over to the people. The church hands the authority. The authority that Jesus said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church, right? And all authority, I will give you this authority. The keys of the kingdom of heaven will be given to you. But we take this and we give this to the people because they want to make the rules. They begin to dictate what they want to hear and what they don't want to hear, what they want to do or what they don't want to do and they vote by their attendance, right? If you, if you don't give them what they want, they will find another church and membership will be affected. And oh dear, how can we even allow that? See, the church is no different if we don't have the authority of the kingdom. We are no different from any other religion or any other ideology. We are reduced to a system of morals. Be good here, be nice here, smile a little bit more. And we get the same perks, right? We don't have to worry about sin. There's no talk of righteousness. What authority is there if we're not judging on the basis of righteousness? Pastors, ministers, counselors, we now have to compete with management gurus, life coaches, motivational speakers, positive thinkers. And we have to struggle with that. Why? Because we have no authority. We have given the authority to the people. Everyone listens to the experts except the men and the women of God. Truth is relative, it's subjective. It's no more authoritative. I decide what I want. I decide what is good. I decide what is truth. 
Now, when you lose this authority, you lose the ability to speak into the lives of individuals, to hold them accountable to the standard of God. We lose our ability and authority to speak into the moral fiber of our nation and the things of this world. Because when they look at us, and we who have no authority would have compromised in the way that we live, what authority do we have? You see, this is what happens when the eye takes over. Our spiritual growth in the church will be questionable. We speak of spiritual health, growth, maturity. But the problem with the eye is that if we're only meeting the needs and the desires of the eye, then what we are looking at is that we're trying to protect these people. We want to keep them there because we don't want to lose the numbers. And so the more people we have, we think the better we are. But this is deceptive. We've seen mega big churches, big numbers. But does that mean it's healthy? Does it mean that they are growing? Does it mean that the people there are matured? When the church becomes just a service provider vying for the attention and the time and the resource, we are just wanting the numbers there. We will do everything to cater to the consumer Christian just to keep the number. But you know that numbers do not necessarily mean healthy church or a mature church. And we have gone around, you've been around, you understand. There are so many Christians, but there are so few who would mature in Christ who are all ready to say, I'm ready to move for the King. I'm ready to move on my kingdom assignment. If you don't give to these people their whims and their fancies, they get upset, they whine, they fuss, they throw a tantrum, they leave church, they go somewhere else. And we can't have that because we want the membership. See the implications of the church. We have the numbers, but do we have the health and the maturity? And finally, a big, big implication where this passage really addresses pointedly discipleship will be compromised. It's not a command of Jesus Christ. So we just choose. We like this, we do. We don't like this, we don't do. And hey, I'm attending service, I'm going cell group to be a disciple. No need. Why? It's difficult. I got to give up so many things. So the standard and the demands of discipleship will be lower. People don't put in effort anymore because we don't want. We've got no time for that. We can't push people too hard because if we do that, then they don't like it. They might just leave again. And here's the sad truth. I've spoken with ministers. I've spoken with many experienced pastors. And sometimes I hear this one line. They say, I've tried discipleship. It didn't work. So don't expect too much. Let's just go with the flow. Look at the implications for the church, friends. It's serious. If the eye doesn't get out of the way, how do we become disciples, real disciples? Because a disciple must be held accountable, but the eye answers only to himself or herself. We refuse to be accountable. The eye will always just say this, it's between God and me. But it doesn't work that way. Jesus tells us what discipleship is all about. And we come back to our passage in Matthew chapter 16. And in verse 24, I'm thankful Jesus then tells Peter and the disciples, now these are the instructions. If you want to follow me, you've got to get this eye out of the way. In his words, 
This is what he said. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Sounds familiar? Get the eye out of the way. Take up the cross. Take up his cross and follow me. Now, these are instructions for people of the kingdom, my dear brothers and sisters. Deny the self. Deny the eye. Get it out of the way. Now, I know you and I, we struggle, right? Because it's so natural for this eye to surface. But if we don't take note of this, if we are not conscious about this, then we cannot address this correctly. We've got to know the issues, the impact, the implications, and come to a point and say, yes, Lord, I agree with you. This eye has got to get out of the way, but you've got to help me. And Jesus says, now you take up your cross. Now, in the context of the first century understanding, to take up the cross means you've got to be ready to die. Now, I can just imagine the disciples shaking in their pants when Jesus said that to them. I mean, excuse me, sir. Now, today we struggle with the same thing, but we have a truth. We have a promise that we've got to stand on. Jesus died for us on the cross first. That when we believe in Him, we died with Him. The eye died in Christ and a new eye has been raised with Jesus Christ. It's no longer the old eye who lives. But this new eye has a new life in Jesus Christ. And so we must be ready to take up this cross, our own cross. We are prepared to die for Jesus. Why? Because I don't have to preserve myself anymore. I am already dead to the world. You can kill me physically, but I now live eternally. What a glorious promise we have. And that's why Jesus, when He gave this instruction, He doesn't give something that we cannot keep. He tells us something to do, but He enables us at the same time. And then He says, now follow me. Don't follow the I anymore. Follow I am. Don't follow the I. This I will keep shouting at you, but this old I is dead. It's no longer I who live. This new I lives in Christ. Follow the I am. That's what discipleship is all about. Get this I out of the way. And the promise is the I has died. The new I lives in Jesus Christ. Now follow the I am. See, when we understand this and stand and move in these promises of God, then the issues will be dealt with. My identity is no longer in myself. My identity is found in the King and I am identified by who He is. My image is not important anymore because my, the image I want to project is that of the King and His Kingdom. I don't represent myself. I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I represent the King and His Kingdom. The importance is not about me. I'm not the focus. It's all about Jesus. I must decrease. He must increase. I point to Him. He gets all the glory. My indulgences, what consumes me? What do I want? I only want what Jesus wants. My only desire, what consumes me, is to do what only pleases my King, my God, and my Savior. And this will protect me from the idolatry because it's no longer this idol. I don't make God be what I want Him to be. I worship Him because He's the only God. 
the only king, the only master that I will worship. His name is Jesus and I will live for him and I will do anything for Jesus and his kingdom. When we are able to deal with the issues of the eye, then the impact of the eye, this old eye, doesn't get and affect us anymore. In fact, this new eye in Jesus Christ will become an impact of the kingdom. Think about this. Look at that. Previously, the old eye was an impediment to kingdom assignments. Now, if I am able to get this out of the way, then it's no longer a blockage for me. My instincts of self-preservation will be dealt with. I'm now ready to die for the king and do anything for him. I'm no longer ignorant of the things of God. I will be kingdom-minded. I will be transformed to do what he needs me to do. I will live with kingdom perspectives and move with kingdom paradigms. My ideas of success is no longer how big, how rich, how good, how great. My idea of success is kingdom-defined and kingdom success in God's eyes is faithfulness and obedience. And so the Lord invites the disciples and He says this, will you get the eye out of the way? Will you be ready to die for me anytime? Just follow this I am. Because whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? See, if I don't get the eye out of the way, I can't understand these verses. I cannot accept the possibility of losing my life. I will always want to save it. I, I will always want to gain the whole world because it sounds nice and it looks attractive. But Jesus gives us the instruction within which is the solution. If I can find this I in Christ, I'll be able to accept this and live with this understanding. I promised you a last I, and that word is incentive. Right in the last verse, in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 16, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. What Jesus is really saying, get the I out away, follow the I am, and here's one I you can look to. The incentive, the motivation that He gives to us, the rewards that will come. If we would say, yes, Lord, Yes, Lord, get this one out of the way. Get this one. You've dealt with this one even at the cross already. Help me understand that. Let me step into this promise and live this life that I give up the I and follow the I am. And if I would do what you tell me to do, what an incentive, Lord, that you dangle in front of me, there will be rewards. It will not be for nothing. It will not be for no good reason. When you come in your glory with your angels, when you bring the entire kingdom to fulfillment, I get to be there and I get to receive all that you have laid up for me, even as I live or if I have to die for you, I will do it. And so let's bring this to a close, my friends. 
I start out by asking this question in the beginning. How's your own spiritual walk and your own kingdom journey? I know it's so much easier to blame the situation or blame other people that may cause you some hurt or some problem or a seeming barrier that is there. Can I ask you in this teaching to look in, at least for now? Let's start with the eye. Let's start with the eye because from my own experience, I stumble often. This eye keeps getting in the way. I've got to get this eye out of the way. I know it's easier to look at others because it's easier to see the issues in others. But I invite you to take a cold hard look in the mirror. Don't look at their issues. Don't look at their impact upon yourself. Why? Jesus wants us. It's easier to see the speck in others and yet miss the plank in our own eye. I hope you agree with me. The issue of the eye must be dealt with. This eye must be taken out of the way. Jesus gives us the right instructions. Will you follow it? Let's deny ourselves. Be good disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's be ready to die for Him because we already died with Him and we've been raised to new life. And let's get out there and live for the I Am. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, for speaking so plainly. You don't mince your words. When you told Peter that he was an opposer, an adversary, a barrier, a Satan, you meant it. You meant it, Lord, literally, I believe. When you told Peter that he was an offense, a, a trigger to a trap, you meant exactly what you said. And so, Lord, thank you for this picture, Lord, that we have today, that this eye within us, we can block ourselves. We can be a trap for ourselves and even be a trap for others. And Lord, forbid, Lord, that we miss out on the things of the kingdom or we help other people or prevent other people to miss the things of the kingdom. Deal with this eye, O oh Lord. Deal with all of us, Lord. Begin with me. Begin with the eye. Take it out of the way so that I can live for you. And I thank you always for your grace, for your encouragement, for the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, so there is no longer I trying to do it by myself, but you helping me every step of the way. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. Help us, Lord, and lead us forward. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me in this teaching of Kingdom 101. I hope that you have been blessed edified, encouraged to deal with the eye, to get it out of the way. Join me next time for another Kingdom teaching. Until then, this is Hansen of Archipus Awakening wishing you a blessed, blessed time ahead. God bless you.